Well, here are my kids. This is Brittany. She is in Ecuador. This is uh, Mikhail. He is in Colombia. And this is uh, Vijaya, and she is in India. And Darla actually got the opportunity to go to Colombia last year and to meet our kid, Mikhail, and uh, there they are right there. It was just a great opportunity as we get a partner with them. And what I love about compassion is compassion releases children out of poverty in Jesus' name. And that's the key, is that we partner through churches, we work through churches, because we believe that that is the key for us. So welcome to Crossing. Glad that you are here this weekend. Next weekend is the one-year anniversary of Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery has been this amazing ministry, and it has helped hundreds of people here at the Crossing find healing. And you've heard the expression that time heals all wounds. That's not true. Time doesn't heal all wounds unless you go through the steps of healing. And what Celebrate Recovery does is it offers healing in some of the hurts and habits and hang-ups that you've had in your life. And it is a biblical approach to all kinds of recovery, not just substance abuse, all kinds of recovery. And so as we're at this beginning of a new year, for some of you, you're like, this is your step. You need to be involved in something where you can begin to address these steps of healing from some of the hurts that you have in your life. And Celebrate Recovery is every Monday night, but next Monday, a week from tomorrow, is the one-year anniversary, and we have Hosanna Poetry coming in. Hosanna Poetry is the spoken word artist who oftentimes comes here to the crossing, travels here, has been here several times, and so we're excited about that. And for some of you, you have been part of CR, and it's time for you to get plugged back in with the new year. Some of you have never done this before, and so it's time for you to say, okay, I'm ready to address these issues, so come be a part of that next week. Well, we are in week two of our series that we're calling Encounter. And over the next few months, we're getting up close and personal with Jesus. We're walking through the life of Christ. We're using the book of Mark as the backdrop. We kicked it off last week. If you weren't here, you can go online and see the video. But let me give you the bottom line for last week because this is really the premise for this entire series. It's this. It's the closer that you get to Jesus, the more your life will change. The closer that you get to Jesus, the more he begins to impact your life, and that's what we want to accomplish. There are four gospels, four biographies of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each was written, written to a different audience with a different purpose. For instance, the book of Matthew was written to a Jewish audience, and so Matthew goes at great lengths to show how Jesus fulfilled the prophecy that was in the Old Testament so that you can believe that he's the Messiah. Now Mark, Mark wrote his gospel to a Roman audience, a Gentile audience, and we know this because he will explain different Jewish customs that his people wouldn't have known about, that his readers wouldn't have known about. He will explain certain words, and he will translate that for them, but Mark writes his gospel with a very specific agenda, and it's Jesus' identity and his purpose. That the first half of the book is Jesus' identity, that he is the king over all things, that he has authority over everything. And the second half of the book is his purpose in dying on the cross. And this week, as Mark begins to unpack Jesus' identity, what we're going to begin to see is that Jesus has authority even to forgive sins, to forgive sins for us all. I don't know if you have anybody in your life that buys you stuff that you do not need. 
or you do not want. My mom loved to shop. She would go into a time warp when shopping. She could be in a store for hours and hours and just totally lose track of time. But she would find these things that she would just fall in love with and she would buy us. Well, the only problem is it's not always what we needed. Now, my sister told my mom years ago, my sister told my mom, she says, I want you to buy my daughter some basic jeans for Christmas. I mean, she needs just normal jeans. It's all she wants. Well, Darla was with my mom on Black Friday, and so my mom starts shopping, and she goes into one of these stores, and she finds these bedazzled, glittery jeans that she just falls in love with, and she wanted her granddaughter to have them, and Darla goes, I, I don't think that's what Shane's sister wants. I, I don't think that's what she wants. My mom goes, but this is so much better. This will be so much better for her. I'm going to buy these. Well, my sister was not so excited about it. So much so that she had my mom send it back so she could buy just some basic pair of jeans because that's what they needed. Well, that's what we're going to see in today's encounter. That today's encounter of Jesus was, was just like that. And this story might be familiar to you. In fact, Lee did a great job teaching on this story this past summer. But I want to look at it through a different lens. Through the lens of whatever felt need that you have in your life right now. Now, I want to look at this story through whatever issue consumes you right now. And let me give you the bottom line right up front. Here's this big idea, is that your felt need may not be your deepest need. Your felt need may not be your deepest need. Your pressing need may not be your primary need. See, we come to God with what we want and lose sight of what we need most. So Mark chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Now, Capernaum is a city that's, a, that's right at the edge of the Sea of Galilee. You can see the Sea of Galilee from this city. And this was Jesus' hometown during his ministry years. It was his home base. Now, the apostle Peter also lived in Capernaum. And it is likely that the story we're going to look at today takes place in Peter's house. It says, They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Now, at the end of chapter 1, Jesus heals a man who has leprosy. And he says to this man not to tell anyone what Jesus has done for him. Well, this guy starts to talk freely about it. And there's part of it you can't blame him because he had leprosy. Now he's been healed. And so he goes all over. He tells everybody what Jesus has done for him. And at this point, Jesus can no longer enter a town openly. He has to stay out on the outskirts. Well, the people hear that Jesus is home, that, that he is home. And so the whole town comes out to Peter's house. Maybe there's hundreds of people who are packed into his house. There's so many people that they're outside the house and they're all trying to hear Jesus teach. But they're not just there for Jesus teaching because Jesus is this miracle worker and so these people are hoping that Jesus can heal them. Verse 3, it says, Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him to Jesus, could they not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. 
Now, the typical house at this period, it had a flat roof. And they would have beams that would go across. And then they would take grass and mud and sticks. And they would make this hard thatch covering that would become waterproof. Now, these roofs, they were replaced every year. In the fall, they would take them out. They'd put a new roof in to prepare for the winter rain. So it's not like poking a hole in your roof. But at the same time, you don't want somebody digging a hole in your house, do you? So just kind of get this picture here for a minute. Just imagine this. Jesus is teaching. This crowd is just packed in. Jesus is teaching, and they start hearing this scratching on the roof. And they hear the scratching, and then mud and grass start falling around Jesus, maybe falling in his hair. I don't know. And then there's just a little peak of sunlight that begins to open up. And they start digging this hole bigger and bigger. Everybody around is trying to move out of the way because stuff is falling on top of them. Well, this hole gets big enough that they can lower this guy through the hole. Now, I don't know what this guy is thinking, but I'm wondering if he's thinking, don't drop me. Whatever you do, don't drop me. Just kind of get me down here in one piece. And everybody in the house knows exactly why they brought this guy to Jesus. It's obvious to everyone what his need is. And that's when Jesus addresses something that doesn't even seem relevant. Verse 5, Jesus says, says, when Jesus saw their faith. Now, whose faith did he see? I think it's the friends. It's It's these four friends. Because these are the guys who say, if we can just get him to Jesus, we know he's going to walk out of here. If we can just get him down there, he's going to walk out. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, that's really great, Jesus. But, but time out. Time out, Jesus. You may be the only one in here who is not caught on. We didn't bring him here to have his sins forgiven. Everyone in this house knows why he's here. He's paralyzed. We went to all this trouble so that you could heal him, not forgive him. Your sins are forgiven. I mean, that's a big letdown, isn't it? In more than one way, it's a letdown. It's what everybody's thinking. I guarantee you, the guys on the roof are going, what? We're not here for forgiveness. We're here for a miracle. Well, there's another group that's in this room as well. It's the religious leaders. And they can't believe that Jesus would say, your sins are forgiven. Because they know that only God can forgive sins. Verse 6, it says, now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, teachers of the law, these were guys who were experts in teaching the Old Testament law. Backwards and forwards, they knew all about it. These guys were experts in explaining how to have your sins forgiven. Because getting your sins forgiven, it was complicated. Getting your sins forgiven was expensive. Because what you would do is you would go out and you would buy a a sheep, and it would be a spotless sheep. If you couldn't afford a sheep, you would buy a pigeon. But when you brought a pigeon in, everybody knew that you were poor. So it was this other stigma. 
So you would take it to the temple. You would go to the temple in Jerusalem and you would wait in this long line because there's other people just like you who are waiting in line to meet with the priest. And so you would wait and wait. And then finally, when you got up to the front of the line, the priest would sacrifice your animal and your sins were forgiven. But it was only temporary. It was only something that would forgive your sins in the past. Anything that you sinned in front, you would have to keep coming back to have your sins forgiven. So you can't just announce your sins are forgiven. Besides that, the only one who can forgive sins is God alone. To say that your sins are forgiven means that you are equating yourself with God and they're thinking in their mind, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? All of this ran through their mind. See, there's one group of people in this room that they're disappointed because they thought they would see a miracle. And there's another group, the religious leaders, who are angry because he is claiming to do what only God can do. Well, verse 8, it says, Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? Jesus answered their thoughts. Now, this would have been kind of scary, right? I mean, if you're with Jesus and you think something and he begins to answer your thoughts, like, okay, I'm going to try to not think anything when I'm around Jesus. But Jesus is saying, I know something that you don't know. That his pressing need is not his primary need. That his felt need is not his deepest need. See, we can relate to this because our priorities are not that much different. Because for us, the most important thing in our life is our health. I mean, we want to live a long life, and we want everything to work right when we're living that life. I mean, health is a big deal to us. And then we want to be prosperous. We want to have money. We want to have money to not only take care of our needs, we want to have money to provide margin because the more money you have, the more possibilities you have. The more money you have, the more things that you can do. And so we see that. But we have another need. It's companionship. We need people in our life. We need relationships around us. And sometimes if you have more of this, you get more of this. They're not always good, but, but we have this need for companionship. It's what we want. And then the last one, I, I will call it fame. Now, we wouldn't call it that. We wouldn't call it fame. We want to be recognized for what we do. We want people to notice us. We want people to notice what we've done. And what's interesting is we use all of these things as a bribe towards God. That when this goes wrong, God, if you will just heal me, then I'm all in. God, if you'll just take care of this health issue, God, I'll start serving you. You've got me now. God, if you'll just make me wealthy, then I'll start giving. God, just give me more money, and I, and I promise that, that I'll begin to invest it in kingdom efforts. That we start to use this to bribe God. Do you know what's not on our list? Forgiveness isn't even on our list. I mean, it comes down like right down here. It's not even on our mind, this whole idea of forgiveness. Because we don't see it as a need. We don't see it as something that is that important for you. And some of you, you're sitting here right now, and you don't think that you need forgiveness. 
What's more than that is you don't see sin in your life. See, we just say, well, I just make mistakes. You know, it's like when you, you miscalculate how much money you have in your bank and you overdraft, go, that was a big mistake. We just think, okay, I just make mistakes because we don't like to say that we have sin because that has a whole different connotation. We go, yeah, so sometimes I make mistakes. See, forgiveness for a lot of us, it's, it's not urgent. Forgiveness is not a felt need. Forgiveness doesn't even show up on our list and that is Jesus' point. That they were so concerned about his physical problem. And Jesus is concerned about his spiritual problem. Verse 10. It says, but I want you to know, Jesus says, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Why does he use the word authority? See, this is so powerful right here. For him to say that your sins are forgiven means that he not only has authority to remove the stain of sin, Jesus has authority to remove the consequence of sin. The Bible tells us that when sin entered the world, it brought sickness and disease and death. See, all of those things that we deal with, the sickness and the disease and the death, they are all results of living in a fallen world. And so when Jesus says that he has authority over sin, he's going to prove it by his authority over the consequences of sin. So just kind of get this picture because Jesus is now talking to the religious leaders. He says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. And now he's going to look at this paralyzed man. He says, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And this is what they've come for. This is why they're here. Do you know why Jesus healed people in his ministry? It's twofold. Jesus would heal people because he had compassion on them. Because he saw the suffering that people were going through and his heart ached for them. He said they're like a sheep without a shepherd and he wanted to come alongside them. But there's a second reason that Jesus healed people. It was to point to his identity. It was to point to who he is. He demonstrated his authority to heal people spiritually. Verse 12, it says, He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. In chapter 1, they were amazed at his teaching. Now they're amazed at this miracle. It says, They praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. They were amazed. See, they celebrated the temporary but they totally missed the eternal. Do you know why? Because they're just like us. Because we are so consumed with the temporary in our life that we completely miss the eternal things. We completely miss them. See, here is your, your greatest need. Your deepest need is a connection with the Father. Your deepest need is a connection with the Father. It's a relationship with Jesus. See, my most pressing need, it's not, it's not money. It's not help. It's not so people will recognize me. That our most pressing need is forgiveness. See, all of these things, they're temporary. This is eternal. 
All of these things will someday go away. This lasts forever. See, your deepest need is a connection with the Father. And our real problem is that every one of us try to build our identity on something besides Jesus. See, that's why when you have lots of money, if you're somebody who has lots of money or if you have in the past, that it's not usually something that draws you to God. You know, or if, if you don't have any health issues, if you're really healthy, you don't say, God, I'm so healthy, I now realize that I need you. We just don't do that. It's when those things are broken in our life that it exposes our deepest need. I don't know if you saw the sentencing of Dylan Roof this week. Dylan Roof is the young man who walked into a church in Charleston, South Carolina, and he killed nine people in cold blood because of their skin color. So disturbing on so many different levels. Well, this week he was given the death penalty. And during the sentencing, the family members were allowed to speak. There was about 30 family members who spoke. And do you know what many of them did? They offered him their forgiveness. Not everybody did that, and you can't blame them. Not everybody offered forgiveness. There were some who, who just lashed out at him completely understand that. But there were several family members who offered him forgiveness. Sheila Capers, the sister-in-law of one of the victims, this is what she said. She said this to him. She said, if at any point before you are sentenced and you're in prison and you want me to come and pray with you, I will do that. How do they do that? What would cause them to do that? It's because they're followers of Jesus and they know what it means to be forgiven. They know the power of when you finally receive forgiveness in your own life of what God has done for you. They know the power of that. See, here's the next step of this, is that when you know the power of what it means for God to forgive you, you forgive other people. It's just this natural outlet of what we begin to do. They know what it means to be forgiven, and that's what they want for him. As Jesus healed this paralyzed man, as easy as it, as it seems for him to say, your sins are forgiven, and those same hands where he told him to take up his mat and walk would be those same hands a few years later that would be nailed to a cross. And nails would go through those wrists, and he would die on the cross to earn the authority to say to you and to me, your sins are forgiven. The price has been paid. See, in your life, you're going to have health issues and financial issues and companionship issues. You're going to wish people recognized you for the things that you did. But on the top of the list, it's forgiveness. It's forgiveness. That God gives us what we need the most, that your pressing need serves as a reminder of your ultimate need. See, the main problem in a person's life is never suffering. And that's not to minimize any suffering that you're going through. But the main problem in a person's life is never suffering. It is sin. And Christianity offers a solution to that dilemma that Jesus enters your world and sometimes he heals and sometimes he gives jobs and sometimes he shows up 
just like we want him to. But see, the real good news is that you are forgiven. I love this scripture in Isaiah chapter 53. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. Where it says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. See, maybe you've come to God with a completely different need. It's a need that has so consumed you in your prayers. It's all you pray about because so many times we hear this, we just disregard it. So you may have been in church so long and and to hear this idea of forgiveness means nothing to you. Or maybe you're new and all of this is new to you. You don't have much of a background with God. See, here's the truth, is that Jesus died for you and that changes everything. I don't know your story. You might be Baptist or Catholic, or atheist, or agnostic. But I know that Jesus died for you, and that means you can be forgiven. You may be married, or widowed, or single, or divorced. I may not know you, but I know this, that Jesus died for you, which means you can be forgiven. The price has been paid. And I wonder, If there are some people in this room right now who need to take some steps towards forgiveness. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You have never finally given your life to Christ. Because you were trying to get your life together, be good enough. And Jesus says, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. To start a relationship with Jesus today, to surrender your life to him. You're forgiven. Clean slate. Sin's gone. For others of you, you're followers of Jesus. You're like me. You've you've been a follower of Jesus for years. But there is something in your life that has been such this weight, this sin in your life, and for you, it's given this again, saying, I'm ready to be forgiven. Again. To let Jesus have this. Let's pray together. God, there are no words to express our gratitude for what you have done for us. That Jesus, through the cross, has the authority to forgive our sins, that he paid the price. That our greatest need is forgiveness. And that through Jesus, we can be made whole again. So God, we pledge our lives to you. We surrender to you. And we pray this in the name of the one who has the authority to forgive sins. Jesus. Amen.